In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. One of the most uh, annoying parts of summertime for me is not the Florida heat. It's that nagging pestilence known as the summer cold. <laughs> the cold that comes out of nowhere that you're never expecting because it's not winter or fall or spring. It's not pollen season. It's, it's summer, right? You're supposed to feel light and free. And so when you get that cold and the inside of your head feels like it's going to explode and it's 97 degrees in Orlando, you just, you feel the depth of your humanity, right? And you have to stop. At some point, you have to stop. The cold drags you down. It reminds you of your limitations. You, you could go to work, but it would just, you would be walking around the office with a trail of Kleenexes falling out of your pockets, you know, snot coming down your nose. Do you want me to go into more detail? Um, you have to stop. And uh, come to find out that cold in the middle of the summer um, reminds you not only of your limitations, it reminds you that, that you, you have a need to be tended to. And until you stop your life and get well, nothing, will, every, nothing matters, right? Nothing matters. You won't get anything done. I, I said this at the 8 a.m., and then as I was greeting folks on the way out, no one wanted to shake my hand, and I, I, I said, I actually don't have a cold, right? I don't have a cold, so um, just, just an illustration. The gospel of Jesus Christ that we celebrate every Sunday, the good news, it's good news. The reason it's good news is because God's salvation, His rescuing us from sin and death and evil, does not depend, does not depend on the lack of limitations of our humanity. Did you get that? In fact, it's our limitations that open us up to the love of God, to being cared for, to being stopped in our tracks so that finally, Someone greater than ourselves can tend to our needs. Now, this gospel isn't just a New Testament thing. It's not just the man we, we just read about who's being delivered from uh, lots of demons. Pretty incredible story. This gospel comes to us through the entire Word of God. And so we find it, wouldn't you know it, in this Old Testament story from the book of 1 Kings. In fact, we find a story of humanity's limitations and God's love, our limitations and God's love. We find it in the story of one of the greatest prophets in the whole history of the Scriptures. So great was Elijah that he is said to, I mean, in a sense, he comes back. He's not reincarnated, but his spirit comes back in the person of John the Baptist to proclaim the coming of Jesus Christ. Elijah was so great that he, along with um, a, an, another great Old Testament character I'm forgetting right now, was it Abraham or Moses? Moses, on the Mount of Transfiguration, 
in a moment where it's depicted of what Jesus will look like in his glory and what we will look like with him, Elijah is there with him. One of the greatest men in scriptures. And today, this is a story of Elijah's meltdown. <laughs> like a kindergartner's meltdown. Have, have you seen a kindergartner meltdown recently? It is glorious to behold. There is lots of snot in that as well. Lots of tears, lots of… Elijah has a meltdown. It's his limitation in lots of ways. We're going to find out in just a second, but it opens him up to the love of God in a pretty miraculous way. Take your scripture insert. We'll quickly dig into this story. There's a lot of text here. The sermon will be briefer than the text, so don't worry about that. 1 Kings chapter 19, sometimes the Old Testament can seem overwhelming, and my hope is as we get into this story, you'll feel uh, not overwhelmed, but perhaps even comforted by the fact that you and I are just like Elijah, one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. Here's the story in brief. Elijah is coming off of a major victory. Chapter 18 is the context. He um, basically uh, has this major spiritual victory where he defeats all of the prophets of Baal. He's like, this is amazing. God, I am doing what you want me to do. I am showing the people of Israel uh, the importance of worshiping Yahweh and not all of these, these other false gods, especially Baal. And, and then in 19, in, instead of Israel's ruler saying, oh, man, that was pretty amazing, now we should worship Yahweh, instead of doing that, Jezebel and Ahab, evil, wicked rulers of Israel, say this, Jezebel, verse 2, Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I don't take your life by tomorrow night. Instead of repenting, Instead of uh, calling on Yahweh, Jezebel amps it up, and she says, I'm going to kill you. What do you do when things don't go your way? When your limitations are exposed by the fact that the plan that you thought God had for your life is being completely turned upside down because that's what's happening to Elijah. What does Elijah do? Here come his limitations, his post-victory meltdown. Look at verse uh, 4. No, yeah, verse 5, verse 5. Um, I'm sorry, verse 3. Stay with me, verse 3. I'll get, I'll get my act together here. Verse 3. Then he was afraid. Oh, that's, that's, that's not what a prophet's supposed to do, right? Then he was afraid. He got up and he fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself, verse 4, went a day's journey into the wilderness. What's happening? Elijah is giving up. He's had this great victory, and Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. I'm not going to repent. I'm going to kill you. So he's very afraid. He runs for his life. In fact, he drops his servant off halfway down his trip. He's actually moving from Israel way down into Judah. He drops his servant off because he basically says, you stay here where it'll be safe. I'm going to take my life. So he goes further into the wilderness. He leaves Israel and Judah, and goes out into the wilderness, and he finds a tree. In verse 5, uh, verse 4, he says this, he asked that he might die. <laughs> it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, 
for I'm no better than my ancestors. There's a little bit, I don't know if it's humor, but isn't it interesting that Jezebel was going to take his life. He doesn't want Jezebel to take his life, but he is asking God to take his life, right? What do you do when life doesn't go the way that you thought it would? When you come face to face with the limitations of your human intellect, of your spiritual faith, your, your capacity to trust God, when life doesn't go your way, how do your limitations show up? Here, Elijah's limitations are many. He's afraid, verse 3, we just read. He's in despair, verse 5, verse 4. Get this, look at verse 5. Then he lay down under the broom tree and he fell asleep. He's exhausted. What are your limitations? These are Elijah's, his fear, his exhaustion, his despair. The angel that God sends to Elijah in verse 5, suddenly an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He's hungry. What are your limitations? What does your meltdown look like when God doesn't do what you think God should do in your life? What happens? Notice this is a mixture of sin, yes, but also just humanity. He's tired. He's hungry. We'll see this in a second, but sometimes the best thing that we can do when life doesn't go our way, when we come face to face with our humanity, our limitations, is to get a good meal and to take a nap. Can I get an amen? amen. Do you see that in the story, though? The angel of the Lord comes to Elijah, he's sleeping, and the angel cooks for him. We'll, we'll, we'll discover more about God's love in a second. Let me just show you one more, two more places real quick where we see Elijah's limitations. Look at verses 9 and 10. 9 and 10. At that, so, so Elijah goes to find God at Mount Horeb. We, you don't know this from the text, but we know elsewhere that Mount Horeb is, we think, Mount Sinai, where uh, another very important place in the story of the Old Testament. So at that place, Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? Notice his limitations in understanding God's plan. He miscalculates. He answered, verse 10, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they're seeking my life to take it away. Jump down to verses uh, 11 through 13. He said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. This is a very famous story. I'll sum it up by saying this. He not only miscalculates God's plan, but he miscalculates God's presence. Because God comes in an earthquake. He comes in a fire. God's not in any of those. God's in, as the KJV used to say, a still small voice. Now, that's not the point of the passage. It's not to go find God in the silence. That's actually not it. It's, it's that it was a surprise, that Elijah didn't know in his mind or under, understand in his heart, or maybe he was just exhausted or hungry or whatever, but he missed God. He missed God. Now, what does God do? What does God do in response? Because this is the story of the Bible. This is the gospel good news 
This is what Jesus came to do in Elijah and in us. It's God's love. And we see it all through the passage. We see it in three ways. We see God's love in his care for Elijah, in his communication to Elijah, and in in his correction. God's love. Think about it. This is how Jesus responds to us, too. Where do we see God's love? Verse 5, we already talked about it. It's, It's the angel. God cares for him, Pastor Tim Keller says. This angel cooks for him. Again, it's that, 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 that truth. Don't hate your humanity. Hate the part of your humanity that runs from God, yes. Don't hate the part of your humanity that is limited by its very nature, that, that needs a nap, that needs a good meal. Notice how God validates that. It, uh, even twice, he takes two naps. Then he lays down under the broom tree and fell asleep. An angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And there at his head was cake uh, baked on hot stones in a jar of water. He ate and drank, and he lay down again. I would love to be able to prescribe for every Christian here today two naps this afternoon, back to back, with an angel of God cooking you a meal. If we were going to see ourselves as spiritually victorious in these coming days, this Monday through Friday, wouldn't it be marvelous to admit, accept, perhaps even tend to our humanity just the way God does Elijah's? But God's love is not only caring, it's communicative. In verse 9 and verse 13, you notice God asks him, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? More particularly, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. In your moments of meltdown, when life doesn't go your way, your humanity reveals itself. Do you perceive the word of God as we read it each Sunday as being God's love for you? Do you perceive it as God speaking to you? He is speaking to you in the midst of your meltdown in the midst of your meltdown. God's love is communicative. Here's the third thing, God's love is corrective. We we did not print the rest of this, uh, it's not in the lectionary, the rest of this story is, is just a hint of it in verse 15. Look at the last verse. God corrects Elijah's path. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. Now, um, I'm going to keep reading. You, you pay attention. Follow me. When you arrive, Elijah, you shall anoint Hazael as king over Aram. Later, God says this, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. Here's the point. God says, Elijah, I know that you're melting down. I know that you've misunderstood my plan. I know that you're at your, your, uh, the, the end of your rope. But I, God, have it all planned out. I've got a plan. It includes Elisha, the prophet who we are about to read about in chapter 20. It includes different rulers from Ahab and Jezebel. They're going to be overthrown. Elijah, don't worry about it. In fact, Elijah, Elijah tells God at some point in this passage, I'm alone, God, I'm alone. God says, you're not alone. I've got 7,000 Israelites who have not bowed the knee to Baal who've not kissed the idol. God says, Elijah, I love you. I've got a plan. 
The result is Elijah gets back on track. He dries his tears. He goes with, now with a full belly, a couple of naps under his belt, and he continues his follow to call from the call of God. This yesterday, I attended a funeral. I played music at the funeral uh, for a lady that I used to sing with a lot. She was 43. She passed away of cancer two weeks ago. Uh, it was at a, a large church, a Presbyterian church over in, in Citrus County. And on the front row in this thousand-person auditorium, completely packed with a bunch of people wondering, why does this happen? Um, on the front row sat, Amy was her name, Amy's husband, Rick, and his two daughters that she left behind on the front row. Life did not turn out the way that Rick thought it would when he married Amy 20-something years ago. It did not turn out the way that he thought it would. What do you do when you meet your own human limitations, whether you're just exhausted or whether you're running from God? What God wants you to know is that He loves you, and whether you need a nap or forgiveness of sin, He has both. This past week was Vacation Bible School, and our uh, cathedral volunteers and staff, Susie Dunlap and her team, did a fantastic job. In fact, it was so good, it was too good, because my little girl Daphne was utterly exhausted every day. She hops in the car, she sits there like a zombie, her eyes are just so, she's played too much, right? She's just too much play. On the way home, in the midst of the silence, out of nowhere, Daphne screams with tears in her eyes, I miss a niece. I miss it, which is one of her vacation Bible school friends that she's made. I miss my friends. Daphne has a meltdown. Now, when she gets home, what do you think Mindy and I do with our three-and-a-half-year-old daughter who's come to the end of her soul at vacation Bible school, right? Do we say, hey, kid, pull it together, shut it. No, no, we, we have some sense of why maybe she's not able to stay seated at dinner the way that we wish she, or, or whatever it is, why she's breaking the rules, why she's not doing what we want, why she's not responsive. We have a, a broader sense of her humanity. Yes, some of it is sinful, but she also just needs a, a couple days of rest. Here's my question to you. What do you need today? In the midst of worship, every Sunday, God gives us His Word. He loves us through His Word. He speaks to us. He communicates. And God gives us a meal every Sunday, right? He cooks for us. What do you need? God offers us His love. Amen.